Welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by my guys, Andrew Tursky and Chris McCormick. What's going on, fellas? Reporting live from the Dirty Jers. Proud man, to say. Tursky's back. Dirty Jers. Like, Tursky's back in Dirty Jersey. Back in <laughs> back in his home state. Stomping always happy. Grounds. Yeah, yeah. How's Northern Trust? It's great, man. I thought we were going to get uh, the hurricane coming through, a little rain, but stayed dry so far. We're, we're getting the hurricane weather. It is currently dumping here in in the Dallas area. Like it hasn't been rain. much better in Arizona. It's been dumping here too. As I say, y'all been getting some some pretty heavy rain. I, I was surprised when I was out there last week. I got a notification about like stay in place if you can. Flash flooding, and I'm looking around. I'm like, man, it's kind of sunny here. I, is it is it going to start raining any second? I was I was really concerned. But but yeah, I was talking to talking to the ping guys, and they they had mentioned that there had been a lot of flash flooding. It's almost every night. I'm getting something up. Uh, just moved kind of northwest a little ways at the base of uh, some mountains up in northwest part of Peoria, and we get notifications almost nightly flash floods. And Sedona and Flagstaff have pretty much washed away from what I've been told. Global warming is real. It's a it's a thing. <laughs> It is a thing. Climate change. Are we getting into Climate that change. in this podcast? Are we doing no, a global I, I just, warming? I just want to. I just or? wanted to throw that out there. I, I, okay. I, I do. I do believe in global warming. Some people will disagree, but hey, that, that, I'm going to plant my flag there. But we won't talk about global warming. We're going to talk about golf equipment, which is what we always talk about on this podcast. But before we get into this week's topics, let's let's give away some wedges. Why Free not? stuff. Free stuff, more free stuff. We've given away a lot of free stuff here recently. I hope people aren't like expecting us to give away free stuff at during every episode. But we had the Callaway driver. We had the Alice Cooper signed Callaway golf balls. Now we have some tailor-made MG3 wedges. They mm. sent myself. Tursky has been home, but I think he did confirm that there is also a, a – Kayla made MG3 presentation box at his place. So I maybe got we'll word. be giving away. Yeah, maybe we'll be yep. giving away another set of these. But I just took a picture of the box, said giveaway. Should I do a giveaway? And the response, obviously, was huge. My direct messages were getting blasted with people offering up <laughs> suggestions. Because I did say, like, <laughs> what should I do for a giveaway? And uh, I the way that I did this was I, I said, how many – birdies that I make in 103 holes at Bandon. I wanted somebody to tell Ooh. me. And the one who was closest gets the wedges. Now, I knew there were going to be additional answers. I, I, instead of doing it random, I took the first answer. First guy, I went, I scrolled through the comments, found the guy that, that gave the correct answer. I would, <laughs> I would say something, but I, I don't want Mark to have to put the explicit filter on the <laughs> on this podcast this dear let's podcast keep it clean today let's yeah try to we'll keep, keep it clean. clean i'll just say screw you bud um no it, there were some hilarious answers some people actually guessed like 45 birdies what wow i'm i'm a dude i'm a seven and you know i used to be a much better golfer until i had kids but like 43 some people guessed like even upwards of like 50 and i'm like really Rory wouldn't make pro. 50. Like, come well, that's on. what I'm that's, saying. That's impressive. I don't know if they were trying to like butter me up to think that I was going to like give them the wedges anyway, 
But but yeah, some people need to to recognize the seven handicaps not making, you know, forty plus birdies at Bandon Dunes. <laughs> not, not a those golf wins. course that I not a golf course that I play on a regular <laughs> basis. Exactly. Not in those wins. So the winning answer, what do you think it was? I say you made uh eight. Eight birdies. Close. I'll I'll take the over. Yeah. Nice. Chris is right. Made eleven. It was uh it was a it was a it was a halfway decent week for your boy. Eleven birdies <laughs> and hundred and three holes. I'll listen, I'll I'll take I'll take ten percent of the holes I play making making a circle on the card. So was it over or under the amount of doubles? Did you have more birdies than doubles? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> Probably uh, close. it was close. It was yeah. close. I there were I big had, numbers had, out there. I had some big I had some big numbers out there. There there were some doubles. I, I remember the the last day we played on trails, there was one hole. God, I can't remember what hole it was. Um, anyway, it doesn't really matter. But I think I found every bunker on the hole from like T to green. I was so pissed, and it was just like I I, I, I can't like literally any shot I'm hitting is fine in sand. So anyway, eleven birdies. There is a winner. Uh, I reached out on social media. Haven't heard back from. Him. Hopefully, he gets back to me. Jim McCowan. He is. At J McCowan four on Instagram, congratulations! You are the winner of the MG three wedges. It's kind of cool. It's got two wedges, a fifty six and a sixty, plus a MG three towel and a tailor made cleaning brush. I don't, I don't like cleaning brushes. I don't know why. No. I can't, I can't scrape them against my wedge face. But I, just I know use some tea. golfers. I use a tee. I just keep I keep a wet towel around. If you do that and wipe the yeah. face, you're you're golden. But yeah, Tursky doesn't do that. I've seen his wedges. My grooves are they're, shot anyway. Yeah, your grooves are <laughs> like, yeah, kidding? your grooves are shot, and they're also shot because you've never cleaned them. But <laughs> uh, that's neither here nor there. It, so anyway, there's a brush in there too. Cool presentation box with the MG3 logo on top. It's kind of got this like velour feel once you open the box where the wedges are. So um, yeah, Jim, enjoy the wedges. Get back to me, please. And if not, if Jim doesn't get back to me, I'll find somebody else. So maybe it's not Jim, but I, I think he's going to get back to me. So there you go. We'll probably give away another set of these wedges. Soon. Yeah. Yeah, I another, gotta, another giveaway coming box, soon. So. We'll, we'll give away the other box. Let's just, we'll just put it out there now. We're going to give away another set. So if you didn't win, you get another chance. We'll have, we'll have a fun, maybe a trivia question, maybe something about what's in the bag. Some people had some fun answers, but there will be another giveaway soon. So, with that, tour topic time. Let's start it off with, wow, man, truly one of the most insane setups that I've seen in some time. So, if you are on Instagram, there's a great account that I suggest you follow. It's SMS underscore on underscore tour. So, SMS on tour. SMS is sports marketing surveys. If you're familiar with Daryl Survey, that is the group that keeps track of what players on the PGA Tour are playing from week to week. So when Callaway says we're the number one driver this week on the PGA Tour, they're using Daryl Survey to verify that because, you know, if you don't have somebody there to do the checks and balances, you could be making it up. So SMS is Daryl on the European Tour. Well, they have a fun Instagram account where their guy or, or the folks that are out there each week, they take photos of some of the gear that they see on the European Tour. And one of these setups just like stopped me in my tracks. So there is a there is a Frenchman 
by the name of Damien Perrier. Perrier, Frenchman. I, I mean, the, the synergy there. It doesn't really get much better than that. Might as well be he, like David Jim Appel. Yeah, seriously. It's it's really it it doesn't it doesn't get much better than that. So Damien has a two driver setup. So already I'm liking this guy because anything that's a little bit out there, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of you know the guys. There was a point where I know DJ had two sixty degree wedges in the bag. One was a sixty and one was a sixty four. Like I, I just kind of love the quirkiness that some setups provide. This one is two drivers. One being a TSI three from Titleist. He also has another Titleist driver in the bag. A nine thirteen D three. Unreal. What year did that come out? Is that, is that 2013? So it's 2012. It's almost a decade old. Okay. So what happens when you see photos of a guy with two drivers, one that's brand new and one that's almost a decade old? What do you have to do? You got to reach out to the guy. Yeah, you got to find out the so, story. There's got to be a yeah, story. Yeah. So I reached out to Damien on social media, and God bless him, he responded and he had some great insights into why he uses this setup. So he said that he started using two drivers in the bag in 2020, but it was more of a course-dependent setup. Uh, this year, he's basically just <coughs> gone. He just ripped the Band-Aid off and has gone two drivers the whole season. And the reason why is because he struggled to find a three-wood. So he needed a fairway finder. And one of the things that he noticed was that the 913 D3, it's a, a nine-and-a-half degree, it has, he called it a little bit less aggressive ball, ball flight. He said it was in like the 167 to 173 mile an hour ball speed range. So he's able to, you know, still get some distance out of it. But on average, he was noticing it was about four to 500 RPMs higher spin than his TSI 3. So he's getting a little bit of a softer landing. Again, as you mentioned, less aggressive ball flight. Um, but it for him, having, you know, technology that maybe isn't the latest and greatest like the the ATI face on the TSI which is really hot you know he's got something that that he's able to control and so he uses it as he said as a two as a glorified two wood you know and and this has been his setup he's got his bomber in the TSI three and he's got a nine-year-old 913 d3 that he uses as a two wood and he for him the setup works, and he said he's happy with it. The, the quote that stuck out to me um, was he said, even as modern golf requests us to hit it further, as a pro, you still want to keep control of your game reaching fairways. fairways I, wonder if he hits it, I wonder if he hits it off the deck at all, because those old drivers were way easier to hit off the deck. That's I know, what I'm wondering. Still, I'd be curious. Yeah. I'll, I'll reach, I'll reach, if he's I'll struggling back finding up. a three-wood. Does he play it off the deck? Yeah, I mean that yeah. it begs the oh, question. That's, that's Where does he go? What's question. the the modern drivers? I mean, the, the new ones up? are real tough, in my opinion. Oh yeah, for sure. Did he give you rest of the set makeup, J Wall? Like where no, does he go so after the two drivers? So he has a five wood, which is like the next club in the bag. Okay. He's got a and it's it's a Callaway uh, Epic five wood. So it's I mean nothing nothing crazy. So driver driver five wood. Driver, driver, five wood. That five wood probably goes I mean, farther than a nine thirteen driver off the deck anyway. So I think he's covered. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's good on that. Well, it's it's like the the original. It's the original epic. So you know you got to think that the face is pretty hot on that. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he's he's probably test. He's probably hitting a lot of balls with that five wood. It's probably thinned thinned it out, out quite yeah. quite a bit. It's probably pretty hot. I would agree. It's it may not be a five wood anymore in terms of distance. It might be more like a like four wood distance. But um, yeah, I just I couldn't believe it. Two guy like two drivers in the bag, but he uses that nine year old one as a two wood. Just it's a four forty five cc. I mean, it's bigger than than a mini driver for sure. But oh yeah, for a guy for sure. like that. Yeah, for a guy like him, he can't find a three wood. I, and again, I think and we talk about this all the time on the pod. This is, I think, you know, look, I don't, I don't think you should follow what the pros are doing. I, I think you should obviously go see a certified fitter, get fit, and find the best setup for your bag. But that doesn't mean that you can't take chances and do something like this. I mean, this is a perfect example. This guy's a, a pro. He plays on the European Tour. And yet he still sees the benefit of going with this nine-year-old driver just because he can't find a three-wood. You know, some guys, I'll put myself in this, in this camp, I struggle with three-wood. We talked about this last week. You know, for me, it's always been a confidence thing. I just like hitting driver because I look down and I see a 460cc head. Even if I got to choke down a little bit to try and finesse it, I'd rather do that than just you know, like – trying to lace a three wood I don't I don't it's just all mental for me I'm a head case anyway but look I'm not I'm not in the I'm not in the minority here I think a lot of golfers probably are the same way if you were to you know give them a truth serum I think they all have one club in the bag they really struggle to struggle with and it's probably something closer to the top of the set you know whether it's you know a a long iron that they can't hit or a fairway wood or or what whatever but doesn't necessarily mean that you have to find something that's still a three wood maybe the option is a mini driver. Maybe the option is a nine-year-old driver. I don't know. All these stories do is confirm to me that three woods are for the absolute birds. And I'm not talking birdies <laughs> the good kind. I I mean, listen, I you're not gonna get any you're not gonna get any disagreement out of me. I I I hate the three wood. I I mean other than what other than what transpired that last day at Bandon, like I was I'm totally ready to like jettison mine into the sun. You know, it's I, I hate the golf club, but I also under, I also know that there are some golfers that swear by it that hit three wood all the time, and rarely hit oh, driver yeah. because they can't hit it. So, uh, it, yeah, to me, it just it just goes to show you golfers are head cases. Like we're all we're all nuts. All and idiots, some yeah. of us some of us more some of us more than others. But yeah, we're we're all head cases. And big and, facts. You know, sometimes sometimes you just need yeah, to try thanks. something different. So, Damien. Hat tip to you, man. I'm going to reach out about if you hit this club off the deck. But I did love that he responded with some with some great insights on why he was using this golf club. Because truly, I, I don't think I've ever seen a two-driver setup that's as wild as this one. Love it. Great tidbit there, yeah. J-Wall. Yeah. Good journalistic yeah. work, too. So going from two drivers, going from two drivers to the garbage <coughs> putter. This is a great name, like a nickname for a putter. Although putter. I don't know – I don't know if like you would call it a garbage putter. So uh, James Pio, who won the who won the USAM, he had this putter in the bag. And again, we we've discussed this topic in particular ad nauseum. Struggling with the putter, always go back to something that's worked. It could be one that's sitting in a basement, as it was in James's case. So he was having some putter struggles over the summer and decides, you know what, I'm just going to like go down to the basement, see if I can find something that actually works. 
and he happens upon this Ping I series Piper H putter that he uh, he he nicknamed the garbage putter, and the reason why he nicknamed <laughs> it the garbage putter is because he drew a line on the flange. So there are already two lines on the flange, one kind of out towards the toe and one towards the heel to kind of frame the golf ball. Well, he put a third line right down the dead center of the face on the flange. Um, the yellow line, um, if you go to this week's wall-to-wall gear notes, Brentley Romine from Golf Channel, I, I posted the photos that he had uh, put up on social media. And you can see the yellow line on this putter is just really getting worn out. It's it's a beater. Like, let's plain and simple. It, it's a beater putter. And he throws it in the bag. And, I, I mean, so he didn't just win the USAM with this putter. He shot 62 and tied for ninth at the Southern AM. He reached the Sweet 16 at the Western AM. And he won the Golf Association of Michigan Championship. That was the week prior to the USAM. All after throwing this putter back in the bag. Putting man. Like, I believe I in putter fitting, but sometimes you just throw in one of those putters and you get incredibly hot. Yes. And it's just like, yep. And you can't argue with what works sometimes. It's it's the power of the timeout closet. It's a thing. <laughs> Except his the, his wasn't a timeout closet. It was a timeout basement. I love that callback. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. I don't know if our <laughs> listeners just roll their eyes at that one, but I still love it. I do too. I it's it's one of my favorites. But again, I need a shirt. I need a shirt with you, that on there. We we need to get some, some merch. Gear. We need to get some. Yeah. We need to make some fully equipped merch. One of them is one of them is my my. I want to do a shirt that says my golf bag is in the timeout closet. <laughs> I would I would happily wear that. Proudly wear or, that. Or I'm gonna do a shirt that says Three Woods are for dopes. <laughs> Mine's just gonna be Team Mini. Team Mini. Team Mini. Uh, Why not? It's like somewhat oh. cryptic. You know, if you're not a golfer, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, or even if you are no. a golfer, you might not know what's going on, but I know what it means. We should we should do, definitely do some merch. There 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 have been some uh hit us up in the DMs one, for some, some merch ideas. Yeah. We have some good ones yeah, already. Ideas. That I think what? We, we could roll out there. So anyway, I just I love it. A guy goes into his basement, pulls out a putter wins wins the US Sam. No big deal. He had a hell of a summer with this putter. So I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's going anywhere after uh after the summer is over. Probably gonna still I probably see it at the Masters. The garbage putter at the Masters. So does the garbage putter get a home in the gold putter vault now? Mmm. Oh. Yes. Garbage putter. It's got to, right? US Sam can't stop. see a putter vault. Good thinking there, Chris. Yeah, that I mean, is. That's so now next time next time I'm at Ping, I'm gonna have to take a peek and see if the garbage putter made the made the vault. That is, is still one of my favorite things to do. Now it's called the golden garbage. Yeah. Golden garbage. <laughs> and do they do they include the additional line in the yeah, replica of said garbage putter? Yeah. Have no, to. I don't think, don't so. think so. I don't think so. Yeah. They got to draw it on with black sharpie instead of yellow. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering this, if it gets etched. If it gets laser engraved, I, I don't. I, I don't think line. you can do it. It's no, these are great I, questions I think, to I ask. I'm sure. I'm sure. Ping when they saw it, where they were like, "Oh man, come on." We got to find Hold out on. who makes those uh, gold putters and ask him these questions. Let's get them on the pot. Yeah, let's let's grill them with check these with questions. Bill Izzeri. Somebody get one of our guys at Ping. We got to know. We got to know these answers. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 
So James had a great week with his putter. You know who else had a good week with putters? Me. Andrew Tursky. Yeah. Yes. Andrew <laughs> Tursky had a very good week. And I'm, I'm a little bit pissed because I, I kind of helped set all this up. Yeah, it's your and boy. I couldn't even I couldn't even make it because yeah. I, I, passed I, had, I had reasons. To... Yeah, it was it was it was first day of school. I can't miss first day of school to go to Boston. Tursky, thankfully, was already on the East Coast and he did me a solid and and went up there. But you had yourself a day, my man. Yeah. So Ryan Carey, your boy Jay Wall from Golden Age Golf Auctions, we got word that he had Tiger's backup putter, um, his 14 majors out of 15 major winning putter, the famous Newport Two GSS. Um, I guess the backup was made in 2003, and he had it in his possession because it's going up on the auction block. Now, so last September, this thing went for over $150,000, right, Jay Wall? Yeah, 154, almost 155. Okay, so it's it's currently up at auction right now. Um, He's basically just estimating, but he does think it's going to go a little bit higher than that this time. I think personally it's probably going to go way higher, right? Like, I feel like the the golf market right now is up so much. Memorabilia and collectibles market as a whole is is up. I I would I'm in agreement. I think it will. Um, It's and I I, again I I don't want to hijack as you're talking about this, but the interesting thing about this putter is this version is from 2002. The one that went for 154 was from 2001. That putter's Mm -hmm. tied to even though it wasn't used by Tiger because it was a backup made that year. That's the same year Tiger won or closed out the the Tiger Slam at the mm-hmm. 2001 Masters. I mean, historically, it's tougher. It's tough to get, you know, a more important backup putter. And there's only, you know, Brian had talked to a guy who said there, there might only be seven of these backups, like copy backups that Scotty made for Tiger in existence. So it's not like you right. can just find these on the market. But again, because the prices are so high, people are selling them. And um, yeah, so the 2002 is, is interesting. And you got a photo <laughs> of this that you posted up on Instagram on Fully Equipped Golf where there's a there's a letter which is why i think this putter is going to go for more than the 154 there's a letter the from scotty so cool. confirming yeah the letter and certificate the letter from of authenticity i mean this thing is super official and i will say that i was nervous hitting a putt with the putter because because he was like honestly i don't know if anyone's hit a ball with this putter like since tiger had it and i was like oh my god like i'm holding it <laughs> But everything is pretty much the same. Like, me and you both have held uh, the actual putter J-Wall, so we know it pretty well. It's terrifying. This this one has the TW on the toe, which his gamer does not have. Yep. And this did not have the Ping uh, PP58 grip on it. It has the Scotty Cameron, although the white lettering on the Scotty Cameron was blacked out, just like it was on the on his gamer, which is that. pretty cool. Love it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard to like describe how pure of a feel it had off the face, and the sound. It just makes this beautiful, soft, muted sound. Great angels singing off down the from the heavens at the same exact, time. Exactly what it was. Now I was very nervous, and my hands were a little shaky, so maybe I didn't have the uh, exact feel that I normally would. But I hit it right after my gamer, which is the old Santa Fe Terillium. Um, and my putter just feels like a hollow piece of you know what. 
I'm, I'm, very, I'm very upset going back to my gamer now, which I've always loved. Um, you just can't replicate that feel with any other putter, really. It's that German stainless steel, man. That stuff works. And then it, it was pretty cool because Ryan, he brought, like, a whole bag of putters. He had a, uh, a Jack Nicholas response putter signed by Jack Nicholas on the face, which he, he let me putt with, even though the autograph's on the face. That's so wild. Um, a Calamity Jane. Very cool. A lot of offset on that thing. It was That's uh, like, I mean, that, that it, putter that putter is ancient compared to today. I, mean, that was a, that was Bobby Jones's putter, I right? It I did, it did look like a game improvement. It looked like a game improvement nine iron with all the offset, just zero <laughs> degrees of, of loft. Then he had the Ping Redwood, which sounds like uh, Christmas bells or like a tuning fork or something like that. You know, it really makes that high pitch ping. It's no wonder that's why the, the ping came from. Up. I know that's where it came from. It's no wonder why, because that's what it sounds like. Um, so that was just, you know, a really, really cool experience. And, and shout out to Ryan Carey. We're going to have video of all of it. Um, we had cameras going. I had my gamer. We were doing testing. We had the foresight going. Um, it was it was a great time at True Spec Golf at, up in uh, up in Boston, their facility up there. Um, so shout out, Ryan, and thank you, Jay Wall, for passing that idea off to me. And thanks for not That's, showing up, so I got to hit a bunch of putts with them. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. It's cool. Like the the idea was to do sort of like a putter battle royale, you know, Tursky's gamer versus, you know, some of the most important putters in the history of the game. I mean, it's tough. Yep. It's tough to beat Tigers, Newport two, a Ping Redwood, Calamity Jane, and you know McGregor response, which is the putter that you know jack used to win the a6 masters i mean it's just it's cool that you had a chance to hit all these i mean what 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 were the learnings what did you notice that that kind of came about through the testing what did i notice um it's funny that like the feel of tiger's putter almost felt like the calamity jane it's like we took a little time off where we weren't worried about sound and feel as much. We were kind of making um, advancements in technology and changing things up a little bit with shaping and how the ball rolls. And I don't know. I guess, like, as modern technology caught up, we could start getting back into sound and feel. Um, I, I would say that was that was my major takeaway, honestly. That's a cool, that's a cool insight. Calamity Jane feels like a Newport, too like prioritizing feel versus performance. Interesting. I mean, it's ba it was basically just a block of metal back in the day, but <laughs> you know, if I had to compare uh, the two putters, it was the, the Calamity and the, and the Tiger Newport. But really special Wouldn't have experience. expected that. That was one of the most nervous I've been hitting a putt, and it didn't make any difference whether I made it, and I was just hitting on some turf, not, not on a golf course. But um, – Really cool. Something something I'll always remember, honestly. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I would not Can't have expected that. Very, yeah. very cool. Yeah. yeah, for sure. We'll we'll have some stories kind of tied to the videos when they come out. And Tursky also had a chance to sit down with Ryan and kind of go through some of the some of the you know, important clubs that have come across his desk over the years as, you know, being the founder of one of the largest golf auction houses, in my opinion. I mean, I'm, and of course, I'm a little bit biased because Ryan's a buddy of mine, but I don't think there's a better golf auction house out there, golf specific, 
Um, they've got so many cool things. If you if you have some extra cash right now, this auction that they're doing, they have so many important tiger pieces. I was just perusing it, not just this putter. Um, they have a signed Amex, a Tiger Woods Amex from one of the commercials that he did when he had his Amex deal. They also have a signed Nike golf ball. Tiger rarely, if ever, signs golf balls. So it's it's just, again, some really cool pieces that are on there. Go check it out, Golden Age Golf Auctions. Can't wait to listen to that interview. Um, did you know the story about how Ryan came into possession of that putter? Have I told you guys? Mm-mm. He did tell the whole backstory on yeah. uh, on camera. I wasn't going to reveal it all, but yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll let anyway, you know. I'll just I'll just I'll just say that 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 I I was like I ha- actually got to help play a role in like facilitating the uh, the transfer of this putter. It's kind of cool. No way. Yeah. They the this guy reached out to me and uh, and told me he was trying to move a putter, and I'm like I, I mean I okay cool what is it? And he's like it's Tiger Woods the Tiger Woods backup, and I was like I mean okay I've seen replicas sure and he sent pictures and i was like oh geez that looks pretty real to me so yeah it, uh, it made its way all the way from oman but i connected in with with ryan and it was kind of that was that it just it was it was kind of cool how it came together so neat to see it finally make it into the auction and turski had a chance to roll some putts before somebody spends six figures to to buy it but i'm with you i think it's going to be over one hundred fifty-four thousand. it's got some cool pieces of provenance that that you don't don't normally get that letter that comes from scotty confirming that it is one of tiger's backups like it's tough to beat that it's pretty cool so middleman yeah. Wall. i will say ryan was very yeah. complimentary of your uh jordan card collection as well very <laughs> impressed with some of your recent pickups we talked a little bit about that as yeah well. yeah yeah i know yeah that's that's another one of my another one of my mini nerd traits i uh i still i'm still a kid at heart you can ask my wife. I still don't think my uh, frontal lobe is fully developed. Um, <laughs> anyway, with with that, I want to get a couple of through a couple of mailbag questions. One of them that I thought was perfect because this ties directly to TrueSpec and something that that they've been working with with a uh, pretty significant shaft manufacturer. This one comes from John <coughs> Quay. He says, "Hey, big fan of the pod. I was fit this spring by TrueSpec down in Jupiter." He ended up going with a Titleist TSI 3 9 degree with a graphite design Tour AD TSG Silver 65X. Mentions that he hasn't been able to find anything on the profile of this shaft, and is there any way that we can help him out? Well, we got Chris here. I think you probably know a little bit about this TSG product shaft. We we actually do a lot of co-engineering with a lot of the shaft manufacturers, and with graphite designs uh, we basically approached them and said we would like to offer some exclusive proprietary profiles being a low launch mid launch high launch and keep it in that tour ad family so i mean for most of us out there that are familiar with graphite designs and the pro choice line specifically that that tour ad line you go to that website and it's it's kind of daunting to the average amateur or i mean the average golfer going and looking what type of graphite design tour ad would be best for me they have so many options and very very subtle nuances shaft to shaft so we essentially approached them and said we want to simplify this and we want something that goes low launches in the middle and then launches high so that tsg tour ad silver is going to be our lowest launching lowest spinning version of that particular shaft 
So it does have some characteristics of a few of the Tour AD shafts, but it is very, very stiff through the tip section and just an overall aggressive profile designed to keep that ball flight low and cut some spin. I think it just also highlights that if you, if that profile sounds like that it's right for you, you can't just go out and get it on the open market. It's, you have to go to true spec and uh, maybe pick one up. That's it. And graphite designs does use the, uh, the same materials that they use to, to actually manufacture all of their tour ADs. So it is a good quality golf shaft and doesn't carry that, uh, that premium price tag of the, the $500 price mark that they're at with a lot of the tour AD product. There's another benefit to picking one up. Cause I know, I know aftermarket golf shafts, <coughs> that's the one thing I, I hear from, from golfers. They're like, man, these things are so expensive. So and expensive. Yeah. I mean the, the, the time and the, the technology that's inside those products, I mean, there's a reason why they cost so much, but I get it. Like there's sticker shock. You see a $500 golf shaft and it's like, man, that's as much as, as, you know, going to buy a new driver with a, you know, with a stock shaft product. So it, I get it. It, it can be a little bit tough to embrace the idea of playing a, uh, an aftermarket product, but yep, you're right. It's another great reason to go pick it up. doesn't have the same sticker. Um, all right, other question for you. So I know that a lot of golfers will look at Tour Pro's bags and they see their shaft setups and a lot of pros, and I won't say all of them, but a lot of them play, you know, an X-Flex, let's say, in their irons and maybe a softer S-Flex in their wedges. I know Tiger Woods is a guy who plays X1 in his irons, but he plays S400 in his wedges. He was one of the first guys to actually uh, kind of change it up a little bit. And I, I think golfers want to know, you know, obviously you need to go, again, you need to go get tested, but are there certain types of handicap ranges that should really be considering the idea or certain types of players that should be considering the idea of, of maybe going to a softer flex in their wedges versus their irons? Kind of what are the benefits and, uh, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things that I, I do get a lot of questions about, and I feel like it's a perfect time to, to have Chris give me some answers. No, absolutely. That's, it's a great question. It's a question we get a lot. So, I mean, you can kind of categorize that into a couple of different determining factors. So if we look at the set composition as a player transitions from their shortest iron or the matching pitching wedge into now their wedge setup. If you're a player that has, let's just say for example, a set of ping G425 irons, and you decide that your particular setup is going to be a matching set of, let's just say four all the way down through pitching wedge, gap wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge. Now, in that particular setup, not necessarily much of a benefit to having some softer flexes or wedge-specific shafts. Now, <clears throat> if you're like the majority of us out there that have a set composition that consists of a more traditional blade-style wedge, and you're the player type that hits yeah, a variety of different shot with your wedges, not just necessarily full swing, that's where we can see a benefit in going to a different wedge profile in the shaft. So you can go wedge specific, or you can even take something along the lines of like the setup that we were just talking about if you're an X100 player and transitioning into an S400 in your wedges. So 
a lot of players will go from, let's just say, a 110-gram shaft in their irons. And then as they transition into their wedges, it's very common to see them go to a slightly softer flex and add a little bit of weight. So this is going to give us a benefit of having a little bit more consistent feel, a little better feel feedback for those three-quarter shots, the knockdowns, the pitches, the chips, and a lot of the specialty shots that we hit with a wedge. Because most of us don't play a full swing with those higher lofted wedges. So something that's wedge-specific, that has a little different bend profile, designed to give us more feel, more feedback, more spin, uh, might be a little bit more beneficial. So, I mean, to kind of summarize that, going to slightly heavier and then a slightly softer flex just to get better feel, better feedback, more consistency out of the wedges, pretty common. I would recommend that for the majority of my players that are out there, with the exception of those of us that kind of build the the wedges to match the rest of the set. Like I had the example of the, the 425 set. Right. Yeah. But it, I'm sure there are going to be some golfers that are going to probably say, why go, why go softer and heavier versus, you know, it kind of seems counterintuitive, like going softer and not going lighter. So don't necessarily want to go lighter. So right. it, it kind of begs the question, why would you want to go lighter when you're not swinging it as fast? A little bit more weight that shorter golf club for more of us out there than not is going to give you a little bit more feel a little better feedback and awareness of where that wedge is at slower speeds and especially when you're hitting those pitch and chip shots even bunker shots a little more weight in that wedge will help to keep that golf club a little more stable and then also that softer flex helps with a little more feel and feedback as well hitting those those less than full swing shots that's it's important to to note that and I've actually I've kind of started to make the transition out of heavier iron shafts to lighter products. I've gone from a 130 to 115, but I've kept my wedges the same because you are trying to sometimes hit half and three quarter shots. It's it's more finesse and touch and you I agree and that's kind of again, it you nailed it. It's you're not trying to swing it fast. These, these are golf, these are scoring tools. These are not, you know, it's not a, long, a utility iron or, a, or a, you know, even a hybrid. You're not looking for speed here. You're looking for feel. And having that extra weight can kind of help with your transition. Because I can tell you, if you go lighter in your wedges, you can really screw things up with that transition. And with it being oh, yeah. so critically important on a, you know, three-quarter shot that you're trying to flight and you've, and you've changed it up, if your transition's off, your toast i never have i ever just stuck more wedges into the ground than when i was testing a lighter wedge shaft i went down to 115 gram wedge shaft and oh man it was absolutely brutal for me it was uh it was a very short-lived experiment I think that's a good way to end it for this week's mailbag. With that, let's get into this week's interview. Tursky dropped off the call, but he did have the opportunity to speak to Callaway Tour reps Jacob Davidson and Kellen Watson. They went through Xander's bag, some of the changes going into the playoffs. Jacob, we've had on the pod before. He's full of insights. Enjoy the interview. Before we get to our interview with Jacob Davidson and Kellen Watts, we wanted to remind you that this episode is brought to you by globalgolf.com, your online destination for the best selection of new and pre-owned clubs, tech, apparel, bags, shoes, and more. Their industry-leading try, trade, and buy program will help you play your best golf for less. 
Test equipment, range finders, and GPS for up to two weeks with Global Golf's U-Try program. Take advantage of their proprietary trade-in and get top dollar for your equipment. Higher trade-in values means more cash to upgrade. Plus, save 10% on qualifying products with promo code GOLF10. Try trade and buy. Only at GlobalGolf.com. Promo code GOLF10. All right, fully equipped podcast live from the Callaway Tour Truck with the boys, Jacob and Kellen. Uh, how are you guys doing? First of all, congratulations on a great year. Basically swept the board. Um, yeah, Rom, Xander, and Phil this year. So you guys must be feeling pretty good, right? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, Kellen Watson, Jacob Davidson here. We're excited to be here for the playoffs. And uh, this is kind of what we've been working towards all year. And, and like you said, we've had a, a great year. And I think that's a testament to all the hard work that, you know, um, the guys and gals back in Carlsbad have done, you know, to have a, a great product lineup this year. And, and we've seen, um, you know, some incredible things that kind of came out of a product line during COVID that was very challenging, um, you know, and, and I think that makes us proud to know that, you know, we were able to, to battle through those challenges and, and still come up with some incredible product that's been validated out here on the PGA Tour, um, kind of alluding to what you said, you know, we've had 11 wins this year already, year to date since January. Um, four majors, obviously Phil Mickelson at the PGA Championship and John Rahm at the U.S. Open, but but also kind of you know Jim Furyk, you know Senior Open, and then and then obviously most recently Annika. So um, you know the success isn't just out here on the PGA Tour. We're seeing it across all of our global tours, which is something that you know we're passionate about. It is you know dominating at, at every level of competitive golf. So it's been fun and exciting, and uh, we're excited to see kind of what these playoffs uh, have in store. And Kisner just got the job done last week. Um, I understand there's an interesting story with the driver that you don't hear too often. Yeah, I'll let Kellen kind of share some insight into that and, and the text message that he got. Um, I guess that was, was it Thursday or Friday morning? I'll, uh, let me, let me timestamp it too, because it was, uh, it was a funny conversation because Wednesday when I talked to him, you know, I know there's only so many of these left that he's kind of gathered over the years, whether it be through other players that have previously played said driver um but at 7:39 friday morning so i just connected with matt jones club on downswing with driver and crushed my driver so he uh instructed me to scour uh various websites and other people that i might know that might have something like that but i believe it was wednesday when i kind of was kind of wrapping up the week with him and just you know, saying, let's maybe we try one more thing, you know, from our current line that might work out perfectly for you. And he's like, no, nah, I think I'll be good. And then, <laughs> so it's kind of, I mean, it's Murphy's law. So it's going to happen. So, um, but did get, uh, you know, in the year, what was that? 2015. So I knew either my brother had stolen at least three or four driver heads from me that year, or, uh, my brother-in-law had one that I saw a couple weeks ago on vacation. So I had my brother-in-law send one over. We hit it yesterday. Perfect. Great backup. Now he's got two to finish the year. And then when the new stuff comes out, he'll be, he'll be set to go. So you didn't actually have to go on eBay to, to buy him a backup. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I didn't scour some of the internet websites, but, um, I might've looked a little bit. I so didn't. he was, he was warming up 
on the range and collides drivers with Matt Jones and his driver breaks and then he goes on to win. Yes. Are you surprised that doesn't happen like more often out here? I feel like these guys hit so close together and they just like trust each other to kind of figure it out. It's usually not like a, it's not a, it's like a funny way to put it. It's not usually right hand on right hand crime. It's usually a left handed guy standing next to a right handed guy. But um, when it comes to Matt Jones, if you ever watch him hit balls on the range, it's, there's really no time between a practice swing and, and, and the shot he's trying to hit. He's pretty quick with his delivery and everything else he does. So um, timing his swing, I, I really don't know how it happened, but um, grateful that he had that backup in his bag and went on you what's know, to win the, a playoff for the I first know, time. Yeah. A cool one. Yeah. Um, what's it kind of like working with Kiz, and what's the celebration been like? Is he like kind of the – fan favorite within the tour truck or you know what's what's kind of his vibe with equipment and the equipment guys you know i think the one thing about kevin that you know he is who you guys see on tv you know that he's just a, a genuine um you know he's just he's one of us you know he's, he's very um humble he's very low-key he doesn't demand um a lot from us he's very honest and transparent and you know what you get from him so uh we enjoy him because he just likes to come on the truck and hang out. Um, you know, he, he's great at trash talking. Um, you know, so we all have that relationship with him where, you know, we like to, to poke fun and, you know, push buttons. Um, you know, he can give it back pretty hard, but he also has that relationship where we're feel comfortable giving it back to him where some other people, you know, there's a little bit more of a respect there. So it's always fun. And there's always a lot of laughs around Kevin. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a, He's just kind of a guy's guy. He's somebody that you go play golf with on a daily basis. I mean, I don't think, you know, at some points he lets, you know, the, the fame and the, you know, the accomplishments, he'll, he'll say it one way or the other, but he's usually really down to earth and just very easy to get very honest feedback from, especially on most of the stuff that we do and, and the stuff we test with him. So. Yeah, and actually, Kevin, um, he may not portray it, but um, he's very intelligent when it comes to his equipment um, and his feels. And I mean, Kellen has worked with him a lot, but um, I'd say he's probably in one of the top five guys that we work with um, that, you know, does an excellent job of being able to articulate what he's feeling. Um, or when he needs something, he's able to describe it in a way where, you know, we can build something up pretty quickly. So, um, you know, there's a lot of feel there. And, and I know sometimes he comes across as he might not really um, put a lot of thought into what goes in his bag or playing the game, but he is very intelligent when it comes to that stuff. Mm -hmm. he's, he's very dialed in. And I, I think we get – we're kind of uh, – we're kind of lucky in a way that there's a lot of guys on our staff that it's not used. It's there's really not a day that they're off, you know. So, um, like him, he's never really off in a way. So if we're testing anything and it's not working, then we know it's not working. So, um, and that goes for countless other guys on our staff. There's really not like an off day. So uh, a lot of really good ball strikers on our on our staff. So uh, he is, yeah. He is probably one of the best to give feedback. He like like Jacob said, the articulation of what he's feeling or what he's seeing is is pretty spot on, and that goes for you know quite a few other guys that we have too. Uh, 
like he mentioned Furick before. I mean, Furick is his feedback is dead on point too. So uh, it's nice. It's very nice. And What's when he wins, it's even nicer. The celebration <laughs> yeah, right. is the celebrations in his hands. I don't, I don't. We celebrate very quickly, and then you know we still have three weeks left. So uh, yeah. maybe we'll celebrate after Tour Championship, start of the new season. You mentioned Furyk. I'm just curious what it's like working with Furyk. Obviously, he has a very unique move, and he's an old school guy. But you know, when it comes to equipment, what's it like working with him? Uh, it's like like I said. I mean, there's really not a day that he's off. So I mean, if there's something you know minimally different that he feels, it's you know let's change that right away and see if we can improve that in any way. Um, and yeah, the move is different, but the move is consistent. And it's always on, so it's. Uh, and I've kind of had the fortune of working with him for longer than I've been at Callaway. So, uh, and then I know you know Dean, and Dean has worked with 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 Jim for a long, long time. Um, so there's a relationship that that is you know a very lengthy past. So there's really there's more, you know, there's more info, more past stats and and just trials with him that you know exactly what he's going to like and dislike so um and he's a more of a field player you know he doesn't prefer the track man behind him he pays almost little to no attention to numbers um you know and again he grew up you know in the prime of his career he didn't have that you know he relied on you know what his eye saw and what he felt and so um it's just a i think a generational thing but um sometimes that's a, a breath of fresh air when you have a guy like that that you know isn't looking at the numbers after every shot because these guys are so good they can optimize subconsciously without even trying to change the delivery of the club to make sure they're getting optimal numbers and so sometimes on a driving range you know we fight that as fitters um you know that we may not be getting a realistic representation of how they would swing it on the golf course because those numbers you know kind of move them in a certain direction in their golf swing so you know that's why we've moved a lot of times to do more on course testing with guys um, I think that's something that's paid massive dividends for us this year um, as well as kind of just tracking the the data analytics of real time on course data um, you know radar data etc just to kind of get a better idea of hey you know what happens when these guys got to hit it in a, in a you know a fairway um, and there's trouble left or right um, versus them not just trying to um, you know get to 12 and 2400 so, I know you guys use stats a lot, and you kind of work with players on making smart equipment decisions based on those stats and what they see on course during the event. What are some like generalities you see where it's like, okay, this is the gap that we typically see, whether it's you know 200 to 225, or you know maybe get more wedges in, um, maybe to kind of help the amateurs piece together their bag a little bit. What are some of those things you guys see typically? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, ShotLink does an excellent job in the, in the PGA Tour, you know, hats off to them for, for really way back when, you know, starting this and being innovative and, and leading the charge in this. But, you know, for it's very specific for players. Um, you know, I think one thing that, you know, we've seen a lot or, or maybe even learned this year um, is kind of from a fitting perspective that maybe some of the amateurs could take this advice when they're dialing in their golf bag is, you know, when you're, um, you know, in a 
have a certain yardage, say 165 yards, and, and that's an eight iron. You know, typically most guys would get fit for that club at full speed. However, these guys out here, 165 yards, that's three clubs that they can hit. You know, they could go up or down one based on flighting, based on where the pin location is, based on spin. So I think that, you know, majority of these guys out here, they're not hitting, you know, a stock eight iron. So a lot of times as fitters, you know, they get fit into that, you know, and they say, oh, well, that's optimal. But what happens when they hit, you know, um, a hard nine or an easy seven? So really trying to understand how that player plays and what shot does he prefer with the shot shape and the flight and, you know, different wind directions. So that's something that we have, you know, done a pretty deep dive in and, and trying to figure out, you know, hey, how can we make sure that operating zone um, for spin deficiency on off-speed shots or full shots kind of stays in a, you know, a range that allows them to still have the ability to have, you know, world-class control um, of, of their golf ball and distance and proximity. And then I would, I would add to that just like on an amateur side of things is it really depends on what that amateur is doing. So if the amateur is playing, say the amateur is playing the same course every week, let's say three times a week, got a Friday game, Saturday game, plays Sunday. I think in a way it's, you know, for a really good amateur, it's a lot easier to fit your, your bag around that. If you're not traveling as much, if you're not seeing different courses every week, I think it's, it's a lot easier to say you know on the first tee I'm hitting driver I'm I'm usually landing here so I have this club into this hole and you can kind of break down that whole round and say well this is what I need on this hole this is what I need on this hole this is what I need on this hole and then I, I think the support that we give these guys every week is is crucial because we're somewhere different every week we're at different altitude we're at different grasses you know you know different firmness of greens different firmness of fairways longer rough shorter rough you know there's a there's a you know there's more of an array of of, of specific uh, influences in each golf course that will you know kind of predicate what they're going to use on that given week so on the amateur side of things if you have a great amateur that's going to play at the same course pretty much every week you know and this is what i like to tell some of the guys that you know some of the guys that that play at home near me that that are really good and they're like, well, I'm going to give it a shot to go play this, this, and this. Well, I mean, the first bit of advice you'd always give them is, well, go travel. Go play like six, seven different other courses and see what happens because you're seeing the same thing every week. But I think it's a lot easier for an amateur, you know, playing the same course every week. You can fit that back to that golf course very quickly. Whereas, you know, out here, you know, there might be, take for example last week, I mean, you might only hit driver twice last week on that course in Greensboro so um, and you might be you know you might be hitting three wood off the tee more so I mean maybe that week you're having a three wood that you hit off the tee better than you'd have a that three wood in the bag that you're hitting into par fives every week so it's kind of a certain breakdown and you know that 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 bag needs to travel and you've seen the, the numerous amount of bags that are on the you know Monday morning that bag comes out from the week before there might be 20 clubs in there there might be seven wedges there might be two three woods four hybrids you just never know so the fact that they they travel with all this stuff pretty much gives you an idea of you know course conditions are going to be changed no matter where you are it makes so. my job very difficult when they show up with like 25 <laughs> clubs it's like well what's the gamer setup going to be this yeah. week man? you guys are killing boat. me You're in the caddy boat. yeah right <laughs> so we are at liberty national this week um 
first of all, what did the guys say about this course, and what are like the specific changes they're making before we get into uh, some of the new stuff that guys are throwing in the back? Well, I mean, this week it's uh, and it's been on the range. It's everything. The wind's been out of the left, you know, so it's been out of the east essentially, uh, and it's been pumping probably eight to twenty miles an hour out of the left. So that front nine. Uh, very tight driving holes on the front nine. Um, for some of the guys from the drawlers of the ball, 18 makes it just a little bit easier. Uh, a wind out of the west would have been a little bit different. And, you know, Kisner alluded to that yesterday. He's like, well, it makes 18 a hell of a lot easier just coming out of the, you know, out of the east. So, um, but I think kind of tight landing areas. Um, the rough is up a little bit, but, you know, from what I've heard, it's not as crazy on the course. Now, I haven't seen any of the stuff on the course, but this is just kind of in passing some of the some of the stuff that guys have said. But um, it looks pretty pretty lush out there. Yeah, the, so. green, the greens are immaculate, probably some of the best yeah. greens we've seen all year. So um, it's it's impressive, and obviously the views of the city. Uh, most of the guys have enjoyed that. So can't beat that. Yeah. I know. Uh, I know John Rahm just threw in a new. Full toe wedge, correct? Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us, talk about uh, that change a little bit, what he saw from the wedge and kind of the overall reaction from the pros seeing the wedge for the first time? Sure. So I'll just give a little bit of background kind of on, on where we went from a design standpoint internally on the wedge, and then um, Kellen can kind of share um, his experience of introducing that to Rom just a, a short while ago back at Carlsbad. But really, you know, the – this is a replacement of the the PM grind that came out in 2019. And if you kind of remember, Andrew, that was really the first uh, wedge of its kind um, to have that high toe. And and since then, you know, some of our competitors have kind of um, tried to come into that landscape and and compete with us. So, um, you know, we were excited about that. You know, Phil kind of drove that with our internal team um, and in typical Phil fashion, I think that um, it was maybe a little bit aggressive. Um, there was a lot of offset there. Um, that, that high toe was very aggressive. Um, you know, and it is a wedge that, you know, Phil wanted for specialty shots, right? When you look at your highest lofted wedges in your bag, um, you know, you use them for so many different types of shots and you adjust the face angle based on that shot, you know, a bunker shot, a pitch shot, a chip shot, a full shot. You know, there's no other club in the bag that you um, compensate the face angle or use it for, you know, there could be a hundred shots that you hit with that. And, and especially these guys out here, when you start factoring in trajectory and then controlling spin and all of that. So, um, you know, based on the, the feedback that we got um, out here on tour in the marketplace, um, our R&D team back in Carlsbad, you know, made some changes to this year's wedge. And um, we launched it recently on tour and just a couple of the changes, you know, um, it's a little bit more traditional in the shaping of it. Um, so when you look down at it, a dress with a square face, um, you know, I think it's a little bit better to the eye. It has the full grooves across the face. It has a little bit of a, a straighter leading edge. Um, one of the things that we've seen out here on tour is our, our C grind is pretty popular. Um, it has a little bit of toe and heel relief. So um, we implemented that into this wedge. And so, you know, the, the offset's not as much. Um, and then the cool thing that I think that really came out of this wedge that's something that probably I think will stick in our wedge lineup for a long time is we combine 
uh, the raw finish and the chrome finish. Um, you know, hands down, the raw finish of the wedges is, are very popular out here. You know that you know that very well. Um, guys like it because um, you know there's not a glare out of a bunker or out of the sun. It kind of hides the wear and tear. It gives them a little bit of extra spin. Um, you know, it, it looks cool in the bag. However, the the cons or the negatives to that is um, it doesn't look as pretty. Um, in the bag it doesn't look as pretty on the shelf and so um, you know they came up with a concept of why don't we do a, a raw face with a chrome back so you get the benefits of both it looks great and sexy in the golf bag um, and on the shelf but yet you still get all of the you know performance gains from the raw finish so um, we're excited about that it just launched um, out here on tour a couple weeks ago we've had um, a good amount of guys put it in the bag you know again it's a it's a little bit of a niche wedge it's you know not going to be our, our full line of wedges you know majority of the guys out here are putting it in their highest lofted wedge but um, we're excited that you know, Rom saw some benefits about that, and, and I'll kind of let Kellen share, um, you know, how Rom kind of has moved into that wedge and going to put it in the bag this week here at Liberty National. So uh, previous to the uh, competition that took place in Tokyo, um, we knew that he was going to play in that tournament, and then he was going to skip Memphis. So um, after what went down with that um, I went to Memphis left Memphis and flew out to Carlsbad to see him he was going to be out uh, working with Dave Phillips for a couple days so um, and my plan is essentially was to work with him with some of the stuff for next year that we have you know some of the products and prototypes for um, but late Wednesday night when I got into San Diego he had mentioned something about um his lob wedge. Uh, he was working with Dave on doing some 3D stuff, getting a little bit more extended, not as, uh, you know, not cocking the wrist as, as quickly on some of the shorter shots that he was hitting with his, his 60 degree currently. Um, he's always loved the 56 that he's had in the bag. Um, and even going back to the process, beginning of the year last year when we were fitting him into everything, he, re he really liked the, you know, the Jaws Forge line that that has been in his bag all year. Now, there was no grinding we had to do to the 52, 56, 60, so he was, he was very pumped about that just because the repeatability of the wedge, if he needed a fresh wedge, there really wasn't any grinding needed to be done. Um, but he sent me a text saying, you know, I think I need just a touch more bounce in certain areas on certain shots because pretty, pretty much every shot that he hits with that 60 is open face there's really not a lot of square face shots that he hits with it there's not a lot of full shots he hits with it um and that goes for probably most of these guys too there's really not a full out 60 that unless it's downwind you're at a front pin you really need to spin the ball i hope amateurs listen to that one <laughs> well tone down those full shots with the 60s <laughs> yeah 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 i mean you got to learn how to do it i mean it takes time 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 yeah. so um so prior to him getting to the test on Thursday I, I uh, we had the fortune of having most of the clubs that he had kind of I wouldn't say dismissed in the first fitting that we did last year or the beginning of the year um, but so I took one that was already finished and I just added a little bit more bounce kind of the leading edge um, on that and then I, I just said you know might, might as well you know show him this full toe so I took a 58 degree in the full toe, 
Um, he had played something similar to that when he was with the previous company he was with. Um, so I took a 58 degree and bent it to 60 to just to add a little bit more bounce on the, on the, on the sole. Uh, and then we gave him the, the, the previous wedge he had with the added bounce on the grind and hit that a couple times, didn't mind it at all, showed him the full toe, really enjoyed the look of it, started hitting shots with it. And you can, you can you really know right away if he likes something because he won't say anything, but he will continue to hit shots, continue <laughs> to hit shots. So When he goes quiet, that's when you know. When he goes quiet and, and he turns back and he gives you that smile, you know things are good. So And usually when he's hitting pitch shots, the ball has not stopped spinning backwards before he's already hitting again. Exactly. So it's pretty yeah. impressive. And it's every, I mean, it's every shot in the book, from 10 yards to 50 yards, whatever he's hitting, it's like you just let him go. And we found out that, you know, to be a little bit more comparable to the 56 degree, which he really loves, and he still hits open shot, open face shots with that too. So we found that there was a certain area in the heel, and I know this is kind of a visual thing, but it, it's not going to go well for somebody that's listening to something. But there is a, a spot in the heel that's just, if you could picture the wedge, there's the four weight ports in the back that we have. Um, the one closest to the heel, right off of that, right off of that area in the back part of the sole is kind of where he feels everything. So we kind of got a measured bounce on that little area. And then in that 58 full toe, when it was bent to 60, hit exactly that that kind of bounce number that he wanted. Because at the time with the jaws forged, it was around 14 degrees in that little area. And he wanted something more around 16. So that full toe pretty much fit directly into it. And once he started going with it, it was, you know, it was pretty much game over. So we, you know, he was hitting I mean, it's incredible to watch him hit wedges. It's outrageous, actually. Yeah. The hands, everything, just the spinning and parts on, on the ball from 10 yards is, is incredible. And especially giving him a fresh set of grooves. Um, and then, you know, I, I even spoke to him about the benefits of it with um, those four weight ports we have in the back have changed pretty dramatically in this one, too, because there's less weight in the heel side and then there's more weight as those ports go out towards the toe. Like so it's it a progressive this. depth, or yes. is it different weights yes. back there? Like how exactly? So the progressive depths will be will be progressive weights. Okay. So it's moving the CG away from the hosel, get a little bit more feel to it, and then also the groove configuration when that that wedge is opened. Mm -hmm. So essentially, when that wedge is opened, the micro grooves in those in that face will point perpendicular to the target. So it's almost, again, trying to do a visual with somebody listening, but if you were to have the wedge straight face, those grooves are almost running. The grooves themselves are running obviously at the target, but when you're opening that up, those micro grooves inside are actually pointing towards the target right there. Mm -hmm. So it's, and we'll, I will show you after this, but um, he noticed the depths of the, the weight ports and he's like that's why it feels really really good so I mean at that point he'd been I mean <laughs> when you give him a wedge at our test center it's almost like a three and a half hour four hour thing <laughs> and we hit every shot imaginable and it's just incredible to see um, 
out of the bunker and we have one of those kind of road hole style bunkers at our test center so very deep um, the sound coming out of there was just completely different loved it hitting the little shots you know just the little floaters that would stop um, he really loved the versatility of everything that that it offered so um, yes I would say this this wedge is gonna be in the bag for quite some time you mentioned having him at the testing center hitting some prototypes and whatnot is that is like right now the time of the year where that testing's going down for new product and in terms of next year you know with COVID last year the industry is booming but inventory is a little bit tough yeah. can we expect like a normal cycle next year yeah I think there's one thing about Callaway you know we, we pride ourselves on having uh, the biggest R&D R &D department in the industry and we spend the most there and, and that really comes from the top with, with Chip Brewer's direction you know it's a passion of his and um, you know I think you've seen that with a lot of the innovative products that we've come out with most recently yesterday you know the super hybrid that's again that's a new category that you know Callaway kind of invented so um, yes we are we're always testing prototypes um, you know throughout the year but we're getting down to that part of the year where um, we're making final decisions uh, for next year's product line and, and um, you know we're right on schedule back on uh, where we were pre-COVID so we're excited about that I think that um, you know our our team's done some great jobs um, with some new stuff that I mean obviously we can't speak too much about right now but uh, I think that I know from a tour team standpoint uh, we've been blown away by the early testing with prototypes and uh, we are so excited to build on the momentum that we've had this year and, and I, I mean next year's product line I think Kellen would agree with this um, we feel like it is by far the best set of um, metal woods that we've ever made as a company so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun ride I'm curious uh, just about like tour heads you know we're in the tour truck guys are always interested in the tour heads how much do you look at like the professional feedback on the unique heads like triple diamond went into the retail line basically this year yeah how did those end up performing like at retail you know because it seems like the demand is so high but you know in actuality how how high is the volume that you're selling and is it something that amateurs actually really end up needing yeah so I think we did a small release with triple diamond this year it was not one of our marquee drivers obviously the epic speed um, and the max and the max LS and um, you know we did a, a, a soft launch of the triple diamond just because the consumers really had an appetite for that um, they were they were asking for it it's been something that's been out here on tour um, for a couple of years, it, it's you know one of our most popular models. So, um, you know, we use Tour as a way to um, you know validate product and, and make changes because at the end of the day, these guys are the you know the best testers of product you can have from a human standpoint. You know, obviously we have ro robots that can give us good feedback, but um, you know we want to get stuff and play out here and, and get feedback from guys like we talked about with Kisner and John Rom and. You know Jim Furyk and those guys, and, and then we take their feedback and implement that into the market level. So um, it's been a, a great um, franchise for us out here. I think that you know um, there's some things that you know we take from that driver and move into you know next year's line that I think the consumers benefit from that. So um, it's exciting, and um, you know that Triple Diamond has had um, a lot of wins this year on tour. 
It has. It's filling up the uh, the winner's bag, our <laughs> segment, you know, that we put out describing the winner's bags. Um, speaking of, I know I'm bearing the lead here, you know, Xander got the gold medal. Yeah. Um, I think the perception, at least that I have, I won't speak for anyone else, is that he's one of the smartest equipment guys out there, whether it's precision in testing or just his overall knowledge of, like, engineering and his eye is that true and what's it like working with Xander he's uh and, and this goes to, to quite a few of them but I mean it's just like we were talking about before it's just I mean he's pretty he's on pretty much all the time so I mean testing with him is you know one shot is a good you know let's let's go but I think he is he's very informed about what he's he's playing he knows a lot about what's gone into it um, and that might be the knowledge that we give him prior to what what he's going to play or test. Um, but he has, uh, you know, statistically, and it, his dad is a, a big proponent of it too, just statistically, he knows exactly what he needs. And, you know, this harks back to what we were talking about before, just course setup, you know, from course to course to course. You know, he has, you know, he has enough equipment to, and he knows exactly what it does to bring, you know, the best setup to, to that tournament. Um, so, yes, he's very knowledgeable of what he has. Um, I think he knows, I think he knows enough of about, you know, the golf club, club side of things, but um, it's kind of, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are very technical, and there's a lot of guys that are somewhat technical. I, I, I kind of, he kind of falls in between there. Okay. I wouldn't say he's, yeah. His, you, know. you know, Mr. Shoffley obviously was an industry guy. You know, he's been yep. in the golf industry for a long time. And, right. you know, we can have some very intelligent conversations with him on mass properties and CGs. And, um, you know, I think that you spend a lot of time around Mr. Shoffley, you realize that he's a, a very intelligent person. Um, and there's a lot of wisdom there just because he's been in the industry. So was he um, a club designer? Like what's, what's kind of his background? He worked for, um, he's done a multitude of things. Yes. Um, he, he's, he's kind of a, um, I, I don't know specifically which companies he worked for, but, um, I know he's been involved in a lot of those, those aspects. Um, you know, spent some time over in the suppliers in Asia and the manufacturing side. Um, you know, because we, he runs into people out here all the time that come on the truck that, you know, uh, work in the industry that haven't seen him in five or ten years that are looking for his email address or, you know, mm -hmm. want to catch up with him. So um, he is a, a very smart guy. He handles a lot of that. You know, he pushes back on, you know, questions and things. And I think that, you know, Xander just grew up around that and, and, and that's in his DNA. And uh, one of the things that I think makes Xander unique is he's able to kind of turn that on and off, you know. Um, he can have those conversations, and, but he also can go out and be the Xander that you see that's very calm and collective and easygoing and, you know, clear his mind and not be thinking about those things and just go play golf um, and really get into his rhythm, which drives his golf swing, um, having fun, be more laid back. So um, he, he's different in that aspect of he can go back and forth, um, which some guys can't. Some guys um, only stay on the the gearhead side and you know they can't move into that other personality but that's one thing that's unique about Xander. Yeah and I think it's like uh, I think there's you know it's a it's a, a level of understanding of what is 
either going very right or very wrong. You know, it, and and that goes for, you know, I've talked to, on on Rom on that side too. It's just like, is there something wrong with this club at this course, or is it something in me that's you know, it's that it's the knowing and that understanding that, you know, maybe the swing's not exactly right there. Let's not go ahead and change anything. Let's, because uh, so they're very, very intelligent when it comes to, you know, let's not compensate for something that's happening. Let's just kind of take a look at what what I'm doing rather than what the equipment's doing. So I I think he's very knowledgeable about that, um, and he's very knowledgeable to know that at the beginning of the year, let's try to get everything set. Have a lot of different options. And you know we can pick and choose from there which course we're going to use this, 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 and this at. So, were you guys surprised you got those uh, iron prototypes out of his bag? Us, uh, us gearheads, we all liked his old prototypes, and now he's in the new uh, TCBs, I believe. Yeah. What was kind of that process of uh, changing up those irons? And was it was it hard? Was he stubborn with those irons? He didn't want to switch out, or that was that was I mean that was plug and play pretty much. Yeah. Um, that was. That was something that we had kind of gone over with R&D uh, about having something more centrally located in the back of the iron. And uh, I mean, everything else from shape to, to groove to top line is pretty much the same exact thing of what, as what he's been playing. The only difference being is that now we're taking, you know, that added weight in the hosel to hit swing weight and we're putting it right behind hitting location. Um, and that was, you know, that's, that, it was huge for us. I mean, from a club builder standpoint, I mean, it's amazing. And, and, and even, you know, you know, you have the TCB and then you have the X4 CB, which, you know, just offers a little bit more offset. But um, I'm, I'm guessing that club builders around the country are, are very happy with that. Yeah, and, and being that Xander lives in Carlsbad, you know, he spends a lot of time at our test center. So he was on this journey of prototypes and presi you know, providing feedback. You know, when you look at Xander's game overall, um, you know, who he is as a player, you know, he's a he's a world-class driver of the golf ball. You know, he's a top 30 strokes gained off the tee. Um, but really where he, you know, um, exceeds a lot of people is, you know, he's like top 15 in approach. Um, so, you know, we worked with those types of guys on our iron design. And if you look at them year over year, um, I want to say last year he was like, you know, 35, 37 in uh, approach on strokes gain. And this year, you know, he's closer to around that 15 mark. And so, you know, I think that's um, partly to do that the TCB irons are a great fit for him. Um, we've worked through that, especially in the longer iron standpoint. Mm -hmm. Kellen um, and Tim Reed have done a, a great job of, of really helping identify some weaknesses um, in his bag. And we worked through that to get him into a better, you know, they've made some golf swing changes. He's picked up some speed and um, you know, that's been a, a big part of his success. Um, I mean, if you look back to, we all remember, and I think it was 2019 at Hawaii at Maui when he lost in the playoff. After that run, you know, he had 18 top 10 finishes before the Olympics. Um, you know, he had two majors that he was knocking on the door, the Masters and then obviously Tory there. And, and, you know, I think hands down, he's the most consistent player. And then, you know, he broke through the, in Tokyo and, and won at the Olympics. So um, it, it's from our, I know teams working together, um, you know, we've looked at it and said, hey, like we don't need to shave strokes. You know, we just need to shave a foot here or there. It's, you know, one more putt or, you know, how can we increase this proximity from 175 to 225, a foot and a half, um, you know,
all of that's gone into it, and, and I think that you know he's back to fourth in the world. I think that you know he has a ton of upside to move up. I think that you know the Olympics is going to catapult him, um, give him the confidence to to really uh, move on to the next frontier of his career. And, and when you look at Xander, you know he's a unique player. He didn't grow up dominating like Rom and Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. You know he had a different career path to get to where he is. But if you look at the trajectory he's on, he just continues to get better each year and each year. Um, there's never been any any trends that are working backwards. So we're excited because I think that you know his best golf is is yet to come. Um, we truly believe that. I know he believes that. And once he gets comfortable in this winter circle at the big stage, there's no doubt he's going to win multiple majors. Mm-hmm. I think those floodgates are open for Xander. You know, you get that big win, all that confidence, and shows up in the golf game. Um, I did have a question about, I feel like last year at this time, 48-inch drivers were like the hottest thing ever. Have those like pretty much died off? That is, is no that, one really testing them? And that's they're really, kind of coming out of the back. That's bags. really funny you ask that question because um, Phil actually asked us that question yesterday he said hey have you guys heard anything about the driver link um because i it's just kind of gone quiet and he's like you know leading into the off season and i said you know phil that's a great question i've not heard and so i actually have a, a meeting scheduled today with one of the pga officials to discuss that here in a couple minutes so i okay. I'll, I'll report back but um it is i agree with you it has kind of just gone quiet and I would think that if they were planning on to make a change, they would have already come out and, and you know set a date to give guys some time to switch. So um, maybe it's going to stay. I don't know. We got a new uh, new guy in charge at the USGA, so maybe um, he shelved it for a little bit. Let's hope so. Better send me a text after that meeting. I'm curious now. <laughs> uh, speaking of Phil, any any changes that he's been making this week or recently? I feel um, like he's always doing something. He's got to be doing something. Here. Well, I mean, just like I, I just think like like we talked about before is that he has options you know so i mean he's got he's got this set this set this set it's just what whatever he brings out of the you know the closet or the garage when he goes to the next tournament and i i think they're all they're all dialed into a point where you know he can shelf that one set that's in his bag and bring a new set out and it just depends on what he thinks works best for him you know week to week so I, I didn't see outside anything. of the putter. You know, he yeah. switched to the um, arm lock, wrist lock. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of been his. Um, that was like a one round experiment. Well, it's right? back this week. Is it back? Yeah, it's back this week. Uh, Breaking news on the, on the putting green. He was back to using it. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I think that, he played it Thursday in Memphis and then put it back in Sunday in Memphis. Yeah. Oh, did he put it back in I Sunday? So, okay. Yes. Yeah. So that's been an experiment that he's been he's been testing with, just like Xander tested with it as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, something new um i think it's a little bit different than than your standard arm lock um but i don't think there's anything else that's interesting or different in in his setup this week is the arm lock mickelson blade style putter like a weird combination the wrist lock mickelson blade yeah 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 yeah. yes (laughs) sorry the arm lock would be the arm lock mickelson that's an it's an interesting combination but I mean, you can see the. I mean, from all the technical side of it, and and you know the the, the data gathering from like a Quintech or a Sam or something, it, you would see, you can actually see kind of the benefits of having that, um, whether it be you know consistent launch angles or consistent 
um, ball speed off the face. Um, and I think some of it is, uh, some of it helps, uh, and there's a lot of uh, trial and error to it, and there's a lot of getting used to it. Um, and I think that takes a couple weeks, and that's that might be why he's, you know, after a week off, he might have it back in the back. He might see more of a benefit to it than, you know, than it was. Uh, we, a we've weeks seen ago. a jump in the wrist lock. It's, it's gaining, you know, a little bit of momentum out here. Um, you know, obviously Xander used it um, over at the Scottish Open, and then um, you know switched back out of it um, because the greens were a little bit slower, which makes it difficult. But a lot of these guys, I think. Um, you know, just speaking with them, it's it's a great training aid for them. Um, you know, it really instills some good um, mechanical things in their stroke. Um, you know, guys that struggle with um, on the backstroke to through stroke transition that have a lot of lag, um, it kind of helps take that out of there for, um, you know, guys. So, you know, again, in putting, um, in, in our opinion, I think that, you know, that's a another frontier golf that we're just now kind of scraping the surface right there's not a lot of um launch monitors or um you know devices that are reading that and and when you look at it you know that's 27 to 32 shots around um you know so they're they're fully going to come the day where the putting ring looks like the driving range with everybody has some sort of you know device out there measuring that um and so as we go more and more down that you know and can measure ball roll and you know, um, smash factor coming off with different inserts technology and all of that, um, you know, different stroke, um, different shafts and putters like Stroke Lab. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of um, new cool stuff that's going to be exciting for you guys to cover in the next five years on the putting green. And, and you know, you're starting to see that. And that's all kind of coming from these devices like Quintic now that are portable that can go out on the putting green and capture this. And, you know, top instructors like Derek and, and Steven and these guys um, are really leading the charge um, on figuring out new ways to give guys, you know, great data coming off the, the face for good roles. So. What is some of the data that they're really focusing on? Uh, I, I think they're, like, the launch angle of, of, you know, putts from, you know, either two feet to, to 40 feet. And this is, what, this is what Xander had said when he was working with, with Derek back in, in San Diego that from, you know, a foot to 40 feet at that time, that wrist lock was providing the same launch angle throughout those, you know, those parameters. Mm -hmm. So from a two footer to a 40 footer, you know, every, you know, either two feet, five feet, 10 feet, whatever the, you know, the disparity might be, he was getting this consistent launch angle every time. So, I, I mean, that's something that, you know, like, like, like I said before, you have to get used to to doing that and hitting those shots but I think that's I think that's one of the things that they're really focusing on and I, I think that's especially due to course conditions from week to week as well um, and I think that goes from like west coast to east coast beginning of the year you know you got Poana you have Bermuda I mean I, th I think that's one thing they're they're focusing on as well as you know the ball speed too it's just what what ball speed is it coming off at, um, and you'll see Bryson on the on the green yeah. all the time using the Quintic and, and you know capturing, you know I'm taking the putter back two inches. The ball speed's coming out this. Now he can calculate that in his head how far that putt's going to go with the stint meter being at such and such. Yeah. I can't do that calculation as quick <laughs> as he can in my head, yeah. but I think that's what those guys are really aiming to see is 
you know, and that's why you'll see a lot of guys at some of these bigger events be there Monday, you know, just checking greens, checking, you know, uh, and, you know, listening to Tim Tucker on that one podcast, what he was talking about, what they did every week prior to a week, you know, green density, air density. It's all those factors going into to what they're testing every week. And you'll see them grab a baseline every week on the green too. Um, so uh, there's a lot more that goes into the putting side of it than I think the, the amateur sees. Um, and those data points are, are about as big as, you know, some of the TrackMan stuff and, and the GC quad stuff that you see on the range. Um, when, you, when you look at it, you know, you think about there's just a bunch of putters sitting, leaning up against bags, um, and guys grab them and they put them in, and they're not making data-driven decisions. It's all based on feel, and, and I get it. You know, putting is feel, but, you know, um, we're excited about, you know, giving guys the, the resources, um, you know, to say, hey, like, what putter do you line up better? You know, what should your loft and live be? And should it change week over week based on, you know, the speed of the greens, the grass of the greens? Um, you know, how can we help you um, calibrate your, your stroke to where, you know, it's consistent each week and you can get a baseline? And, you know, what does it look like? Do you, you know, based on your stroke, do you need toe hang? Do you need face balance? Um, you know, what happens if we change that and move certain things? And, you know, if you throw a new grip on there, what does that do? So there, there's all these variables, you know, now you have different shafts out there. You know, at, at Odyssey, you know, we have tons of options with, you know, mallets and blades and, you know, stroke lap shafts and, and you know, sight lines and all of that factors into it. So, um, you know, Joe Toulon does a exceptional job for us with that. Um, you know, it's something like, I think Odyssey, we've, one um, been the number one putter in the last 32 majors or something like that and we're clearly the number one putter um, on the PJ Tour and, and have been and, and, and this year in our product line you know um, the, the two ball 10 and the OG number seven have been the most popular and I think that you know that's that's really cool because those are our flagship putters that we're selling um, and so you know we're in touch with what is going on and out here in tour but also in the marketplace and you know putters there it, it's amazing there's always a trend of what's hot on tour is always the best selling um at, at retail and so it, it's i think that's cool when you see guys like um you know gracie you know making having a chance to hit that hit a phenomenal putt on the playoff hole is you know that's the same putter that many of you guys out there are putting with there's nothing special about that putter um that he has i mean it's 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 right off the shelf and i understand uh i know we have to wrap it up i promised you guys like 20 minutes and now we're at 50 but um i just want to talk about gracie real quick i know we we're we were talking before a little bit about the the auto flex shaft and uh his experience with it i'm uh, just curious about about that story we're uh well we're we, we did some testing with some different shafts last night in his driver, so um, I don't know if you'll see the autoflex this week or not. Um, <laughs> it was hot there for a while, like it real was. Hot. It, we were it, all it, super interested. In it was. It changed the. It. I mean, it kind of changed the dynamic of what you really see out here. You know, I mean, the torque levels and the, this kind of the softness of what that autoflex provides at that weight is is something that you don't see on a regular basis out here. But I mean, Gracie is is a, a, a unique f 
fit because he does, you know, the higher the torque value you can get on a shaft, the better it's going to be for him. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and he'll go through it today too. And we'll, we'll do a little bit more uh, uh, with the driver, but you know, and he's, he's one of the better ones to test with too, is because he'll hit, you know, he has four, essentially four shots off the tee that he hits with the driver and to, you know, to the untrained eye, they looked exactly the same. But there's a, there's a, there's a one, there's a two, there's a three, and there's a four. I only have one. I have the hit and hope. Well, yeah. I mean, most of us do. Um, but he will. I mean, you can tell him. You know, let's hit the one, let's hit the two, let's hit the three, let's hit the four, and see what happens. But you know, the higher the torque value on on a shaft, and and I gave him. I think we went through. I think I gave him three shafts yesterday to test. One of them going back to the one that he won with in. Uh, Puerto Rico. Yep. Yeah, Puerto Rico. Um, and then two that um, I'd asked some of the guys about, um, and just getting up. And I mean, you'll see this advertised on everybody's website, but there's a you know there's a common torque value to, to most shafts, and out here it usually sticks between you know 2.8 to like 3.4 or something. The highest being like 3.7. Mm -hmm. But um, for his game, I think he prefers something more in the fours. Wow. So it's a little bit higher and. That's why I have all these things set aside. I took pretty much the highest torque value from every golf manufacturer or shaft manufacturer just to give it a test at home and see what happens. Um, because that twisting and turning around the shaft and, and you know trying to get that face square. And for somebody like him that is coming across the ball anywhere between three and four and a half degrees every swing, you know, how is that face getting square and starting the ball left and just turning a little bit right so it's kind of understanding that but I think the auto flex there was a couple that you know he thought he hit very good um, that didn't go where he thought would go uh, and and it's like it's but it's it's understanding the, the the process of those shots that he hit so like the the one shot is the low one that he loves to hit um, now obviously he's changing kind of dynamically what he's doing he's pulling on the grip a little bit harder to get you know a little bit lower launch with that little fade now he didn't feel like he could do that as well with that but you go through the progressions you get to that number four shot that he likes to hit which is that kind of that high bomb that's just cuts like two or three yards the rhythm was a lot easier for him to feel with that shaft and he would hit it amazing so uh and you can watch some of these guys. They'll they'll go on track, man, and hit the same shot over and over and over and over again to hit this number, this number, and this number. And then the first tee, the ball's quarter inch off the ground, and the, it leaves four degrees lower than anything that they ju you just saw on the range. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's the 14. So you have 14 drives. 13 of the 14 are going to be lower than what they were hitting on the range, and the one might be a down downwind par five they just let it go mm -hmm. so it's just trying to get into that headspace of this shaft works better with one two three and four rather than just three and four you know so uh understanding that and trying to give him an option that will work is you know it's it's a test right now at the start of the playoffs but um i think he'll be okay going this week and i mean the wind's like we were talking about before, the wind coming out of of the east is going to be an interesting one for him too. But uh, I think he just needs to feel comfortable with something that's not as loose as what that autoflex was. Um, 
but I'm not saying it's a bad shaft for everybody because obviously he saw gains yeah. when he was trying to hit, you know, the high hard one. So it's just you've seen it. It's a flexible shaft. Flexible shaft. <laughs> yeah. But those guys like to hit the fairway finder all the time. Yeah. But they continue to try to smash balls on the range. So I need to find a fairway finder. <laughs> you can do it. It's not that hard. Oh yes, it is. I hit about two out of fourteen every time I tee it up. We gotta, but, get, uh, we gotta get him the max LS head. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll fit you after this is done. <laughs> right. Well, I'm positive you guys have more important things to do right now. Um, it is Wednesday of a FedEx Cup playoff event. I know you have PGA Tour officials to talk to about 48-inch drivers and all sorts <laughs> so of things. So he can text you right away. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you guys go. This was a blast. Um, congrats on all the success this year, and you know maybe we'll get a playoff win too. Three would be nice. One, two, three. Yeah. And the and the forty million dollar prize at the end. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Thank Always you. fun coming on. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode one hundred and four of Fully Equipped. Thanks again to Jacob and Kellen for the time. As always, if you're looking for more gear news, you can find us on social media. We're at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram and at fully underscore equipped on Twitter. Always appreciate you listening. We'll see you next week.